Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Help Me Buy Property Podcast. And drums roll. I have Cheryl Leong with me again. Hello, Cheryl. Hello. Hi, Moss. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. Thank you very much. Awesome. So let's get right into this. So today's topic, I think it's a very cool topic. It's all about negotiations and the art of negotiations. Um, And I want to kick off the topic with a nice little story. Um, And this story is more going back in my younger days when I was finishing off my MBA at Melbourne Business School. And my teacher, he was a professional negotiator and used to negotiate commercial deals and commercial contracts for big corporates. And he said to me that whenever you are going into negotiation, don't make it all about money. Don't try to win all the money. Uh, let other people make or take something out of the deal as well. Like other people take some money out of the deal because if you get a reputation of you caring about money or making all the money, then there would be times where you would not be able to close the deals. Okay. And so ultimately what he was trying to say was that negotiation or the art of negotiation is a cross section of seller's willingness to sell and buyer's willingness to pay. Right. And so on that note, I'm going to handball you, Cheryl, and, uh, and kick off the topic. And I think when you talk about negotiation, naturally building repo starts off, right? You know, that's where you would always kick it off, you know, building repo. Exactly. And, and to be honest, like negotiation for me was always when I started my property journey. Uh, or any, or just business, it was, it was actually quite a scary thing because I was, I used to think, oh my goodness, like negotiation, does that mean I really, you know, I'm like a car salesperson? Is that, I mean, that was my concept of negotiation. I'm like, there's no negotiation. It's just that whoever, whoever speaks the loud, whoever speaks the loudest, whoever is the most articulate, whoever's the most shady type thing. And it's, that's, that's not the case. And this is what I've learned through negotiation. And not that I had a particular science to it, but yeah, absolutely building rapport was the number one thing that I realized for me was the most effective form of of coming up to a great win-win. And I've always been about about win-wins. So, you know, whether it's building rapport with obviously the vendor or whoever the owner is, um, building rapport with the agents who are representing the vendors and those parts are incredibly critical because knowing that they're on, like looking at them as partners as opposed to an opposition is, I think, a really key part of that. What do you, what do you think, Moss? 100%. And look, I mean, you talk about building repo and you think that one of the things that comes into my mind is why would you build a repo, right? It's, it's, it's a natural and a personable thing, right? You need to set up the repo to gain the trust first before you talk about anything else, right? And so a lot of people mistakenly jump over some of these things. You know, I, I suck at small talk. I, I literally suck at small talk, especially with strangers. And so I need to really figure out, you know, the chain of thoughts or the chain of questions that I need to ask these people so that I can build a repo with them. And so you're right, you know, talking to the agent, talking to the vendor, be personalable, right? You need to you know, find that commonality between them and you um, so that you can keep the conversation going. And it's different for different people. Like for some people, it's family. For others, it may be AFL or soccer. You know, for some people, it might be travel. And so 
finding that commonality in a short amount of time, like, you know, two phone calls probably when you're talking about property is what we are talking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, small talk is more around, this is one thing I've learned, um, I can't remember who said, you know, be be interested as opposed to interesting. How to ask yes, questions. That's very true. So that, pe- that people, it invokes people to want to talk and open up because at the end of the day, I think, Building rapport, it's, it's around breaking, breaking down the walls because everyone's yes. got this sense, particularly when you're, when, when you're in negotiation and you're talking about commercial transactions, right? Because everyone's got this sense of I've got to protect myself and my aura, mm-hmm. whichever, so that I don't get scammed. And so building rapport is around breaking those walls between you and the other person. And by doing that, by, you know, in doing that, I, I feel that the, the, the way to do it is around building that sense of you're, you're someone who they can trust and people yes. Yes. know, like, and trust, know, like, and trust people that they still they feel comfortable with. And they feel comfortable by doing that is like asking things about them, asking things about them to make Absolutely. them feel. But you've got to do it in a genuine form. It's not around, I'm just going to like fake yes. it. And, I really don't care about you, but genuinely, uh, you're absolutely. To that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And look, you are you're 100 right there. Especially when you're building repo, you know, if I put my buyer's agent cap on, a, a big part of building repo is you know setting up authenticity, um, building credibility with the agent, for example, or with the vendor, and establishing the authority as a company, as and as a person while you're building the repo is important as well. You know, that's a key balance that you that you take especially when you're talking to people, you're helping them understand who you are, what you do. Uh, but it's also very important where, where people get it really quite wrong, especially when I'm talking to agents, is that agents naturally feel that if they're going to talk to a buyer's agent or if a person is going to talk to a vendor, you know, naturally you start throwing signals that you are here for a cheap deal. And so one of the strategies that I always take care of upfront when I'm building repo is I call it out. I just say it. I say, look, I'm not here for a cheap deal. I am not here to kill you. I am here to pay you a fair price. Let's understand what that fair price is, right? Your definition of fair price might be very different to mine. And so we never talk about price from that stage onwards. You know, I have basically talked about the price in a very generic manner and put it on the side in this box here that we'll come back to it later. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's so many other elements to get to well, value value comes down as well to a lot of different moving parts, right? With particularly when you're talking about negotiation, I really like that 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 you're setting the ground, sort of almost the ground rules from the very beginning to go. I've got I don't have things to hide. I just want to be able to say I'm coming from this place. I want to get us get us the best outcome as we can, and I can only I can only do that if we're doing it collaboratively. If 100%. we are going to be transparent, I'm going to be transparent. We can come to, otherwise people are going to be thinking they're hiding stuff from me. You know, they're trying to, trying to screw me over. Absolutely. I really, I really like that, that sense of let's just, just get clear. Let's get it out of the way. You know, we'll put all our cards on the table and see what we come up to. Definitely. Definitely. And look, I mean, you know, if I talk about last week, I was in an auction last week um, where the agent not only disclosed me the reserve price when I rocked up to the auction. He was pointing fingers at who the bidders are, who should I be looking for, 
Um, he was also telling me what their budgets are, right? And so that talks about the deep connection. And mind you, we've only met twice, right? And so that comes back as you coming out authentic. You are not playing games, right? And look, I mean, there are deals where you would be playing games. I'm not saying that, you know, you don't, and we'll talk about some of those things as to how do you go about doing that. You know, negotiation or the art of negotiation includes everything, you know? Mm. You know, you have some cards that you put in the pocket, some cards that you put on the table, and how do you bring cards after cards slowly and gradually? And so understanding the seller as a next step um, or understanding who this person is who is selling the property and understanding their why becomes the mm. next best important thing, right? Absolutely. It, it, I, as much as possible, I've always tried to, to speak or meet the seller in the door. Noting that, you know, particularly when we're talking about developments and because there's so many moving parts with developments and you want longer settlements and things like that, you really, as best as possible, really try to understand this is investment property or development. Like, what are their needs and their wants? It's not just the price. It's not always just about the price. And it's particularly with a lot of development sites, if you're talking about you know, greenfield areas where places used to be farmland. And so you often have elderly people living in these farm, you know, farming, farming lots. They've lived there for 50 years. They might have been migrants and you know, their whole family's been there, but they've worked their backs off. So really understanding that that's a huge emotional, it has a big emotional attachment to the property. And understanding yes. why they're needing to sell, why they're needing to yeah. sell, and and what are the things that they might not need a quick settlement, right? They actually might mm-hmm. need to clear a whole lot of a whole lot of stuff out of the property, you know. So 100%. really sitting there going, what is the best? I ask this one question: What is the best case scenario for you? Yes. What's the best outcome yes. for you? And when yeah. they're able to share that. And you're able to sort of say, okay, if I'm able to help, you know, achieve this, this, and this for you, yeah. how does this sound if I'm able to do this? You know, so there's always that sense of always talk their language. And, and you can only talk their language when you know what their needs and their wants are. It's, it's, it's quite amazing, right? I think, especially when you are going into deals and negotiating development properties or any property per se, if you put a higher priority in, in discovering what a win looks like for everyone, you yeah. will ultimately find that win for everyone, right? I think a lot of people go with this bias of, okay, I'm going to get the best deal out of, out of this particular equation, right? So, you know, yeah. understanding the wants and needs is very important. And this takes me back into my uni days where, you know, it's important to understand, you know, what their wants are, what their needs are. And, uh, and you would understand what your wants are and what your needs are, okay? And the overlap between that, where you have your wants and your needs and their wants and their needs, that's where the true negotiation is going to happen, okay? There would be things where it's their wants and their needs, but they don't mean nothing to you technically, right? In a, in a nicest possible way. They don't mean anything to you. It's not a monetary consideration that you have to put up. And, and similarly, there would be things that you know you can offer to them that may not interest them at all. You might hold a really high value for it, but it mean, might, might mean nothing to them, right? Yeah. And so yeah, that's there are instances where I've been part of the negotiation where the other pa- party at the other side or the competitor on the other side kept offering more money and they still took a deal from us and with, with a much lesser value of the money. And because mo- motivating driver was not the money, 
you know, they wanted mm. someone to you know, look after the property. In some cases, they wanted a, a quicker, easier settlement. In some cases, they just wanted to put a family in there. And so I've been in, there have been instances where they are so emotionally attached to the property that they, they don't want to talk to a developer. They just want to talk to a family. And they said, okay, we, want, we are going to hand it over to a family because there is no mm. one in my family to hand this over to. And so understanding that why becomes so important in driving yeah. the conversations and naturally people are anchored by the money. And they think that, oh, just because I'm motivated by money, especially as a developer, you would be motivated by money as well. I think the key takeaway from this conversation is it's not all it's not all about the money. That's the point to take away, and I think that's a it's a limiting belief for a lot of people going into purchasing property that people always want. You know, when I say people, the the vendors and the agents always want the highest price. Um, probably the agent, yes. but the vendor, <laughs> the agent wants the highest price, but the vendors not necessarily because value value is you know. Value is a very subjective thing. It's not objective. Yes. Value is, um, when you're talking about value to someone, it's an innate yes. thing. What is valuable to me? So the, the point that you make about um, it might be a vendor who's got this beautiful property, but they know it's, it's suitable for development, but they actually want a lovely young family to purchase it. Um, yeah. And I've seen properties sell for, hundreds of thousand dollars less than they would because number one, the vendor is just like, this is my price. That's fine. I don't need more money because I've got plenty. I just want nice people to live in it. And then it 100%. becomes a, comes a win-win for the buyer who probably couldn't have afforded that much. And the seller who was like, I don't need an extra two, 300,000. Yeah, it could yeah. maybe be worth Two hundred to three hundred thousand more, but what am I going to do Definitely. with that? You know, so Definitely. I I love those situations that anything's possible. But like for us as purchasers, we're often, you know, I guess held back by this mindset that it's it has to be the highest price. It has to be the highest price. So yeah. I think that's the once you really so understand people, the need once. And people do this to themselves, right? Uh, they go in. Um, with an anchored mindset in a negotiation with a desperate yes or I'm afraid so or oh maybe they would ask for this or they would ask for that I just say you know don't be overly realistic you know keep everything out on the table you don't know what the person is going to ask in one of the development deals I, I kid you not this person asked us that they don't want to sell it to us because we come out as developers and they have an amazing neighbor and they don't want to sell it to a developer because they are against the neighbor. Okay. And so they knew that their neighbor wanted to sell first. So they pushed us onto the neighbor's property saying, can you please sell them first before we sell our property to you? Like if you don't ask the questions, you don't get the outcomes, right? And so all they wanted, they, they were happy with everything that we were offering. All they wanted was that their neighbor's property got sold first. And so our local agent contact, we got them in contact and we said, hey, can you prioritize their sale and make sure they get the good price? And so it's amazing how you can create a disparity between the vendor and the agent. A lot of the times people think that, well, technically it's always the case that an agent should always work for the vendor, right? But there are mm-hmm. always ulterior motives what agent, what goes through agent's mind, right? And so an agent mm-hmm. would, you know, push your property off of first 
for an, which is less than $50,000 than what the market is offering, for example, in certain cases where they're not losing much on the commission side because it's only 2%. But as a developer, if they're getting the resales back and they can see that this conversation happening in the future, they have just made their pipeline of an extra four deals coming in in the next 12 months for them. And so if they see a developer is active in the state, they'll start thinking about some of these tentative relationships. Uh They're not done yet. There is not a written contract that you have to do it. But it's almost like a relationship that exists that you don't even know about. And you would see agents almost flipping and working for you in in certain cases. Yeah, yeah. And and you saw the more, what I find is that good negotiators, negotiators, I identify all the parties that are involved. And it's not about complicating things, but just understanding each person's, again, we go back to the, 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 the words of today, which is needs and wants. What are the needs and wants? And a key part of doing that is listening and being aware and listening to the other person and what it's the words that they're saying to you and, 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 and almost reading, either reading between the lines or if they tell you straight up what they need, then, then obviously take that. So what are some of the practical things, Moss, that you've learned in terms of being able to extract what people need and want? What are, what are the practical things that you've put in place? Look, I mean, before you go into a negotiation, the first thing that you have to always think about is what I call BATNA. And again, this is, um, this is a jargon from my MBA world. BATNA basically means best alternative available to you um, in a negotiated agreement. And so what that means is if you don't get this property, if you don't get this, what is the next best thing that is available to you? Is it a similar price? Is it a much, much more dear property? Does it fit the client? Does it fit your bill? you know, more from a uh, profit profits perspective, for example. So how hard can you go in the negotiation and how desperate you are in getting this property? So understanding your own emotions first is the key. You know, we're not talking about prices yet. We're not talking about anything, okay? That's the first step of you being mindful about where are you in this equation, okay? How emotionally attached are you to the process? Once you know what your best alternative looks like, you basically identify the ranges, okay? So you understand what your walkaway price is, what is your minimum, what is your maximum, you know, you do the feasibilities, the valuations, especially with, you know, the development deals, you know, you would do all of that pre-work up front. You would identify what a residual value looks like and how much of the buffer is that you can play with. And having these numbers in your head or someone there on the paper, you don't call these out in the first conversation. The first conversation basically starts off with building the repo, going through all of that equation. I call this, when you're talking about negotiations, especially in the development deals, it's like a marathon. Slow, consistent wins the race, basically. It's literally like a marathon. You know, yeah. you have to commit to it to be in the race, but the consistency is what would get you there. Does that make sense? Yeah, abs- absolutely, absolutely. And, and particularly when they're... Uh, negotiations that are a little bit more complex if you're dealing with developments because again you're talking about settlement there, there's settlement times there's you know deposits there's due diligence and all of that there are a few moving parts so the fact that you're not you're not laying out all your cards in terms of what your the, the, do, the dollar is allows you to 
make those little movements on the chessboard so you get to a point where like if you're getting this incredible extended settlement then potentially you can actually pay the vendor more because you're not paying as much in interest whereas the vendor goes oh my goodness i'm going to get this money you know 200 grand in my pocket but this extended settlement might actually be saving you half a million dollars definitely so then they're like what what would they do for an extra two hundred thousand dollars in their pocket yeah i can stay here for another two years that's cool so you actually don't get to that that dollar figure until you know what all those moving parts are. And and it's important Definitely. that you do the calculations, that you do the feasibilities, because that, that can be the difference of what your end price is going, yeah. going to be. Look, yeah. I mean, and there would be times where the vendor starts the conversation with the dollars, right? You know, we yeah. read it on our own groups where people ask that question is, oh, vendor is asking X or vendor is asking Y. And, you know, the next question or the, the comment that we always make is, you know, be the expert. You are the expert, right? You know, you are the one. Use this as an opportunity to educate the vendor, okay? If yeah. the conversation starts with the dollar so- sign, shut down the conversation and be creative about, you know, setting up a different offer, okay? It's all about comparing offers to offers, right? And so you have to take them away from that first number, and create multiple products for them so that it becomes non-comparable completely, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's that's a cool trick that a lot of people don't really use. It's a cool trick to have in your hat. You would be in conversations where people are like, look, don't I don't want to create any repo with you. I don't want to talk to you. Let's talk numbers first. And I've been mm. in those situations myself. You would have you would have been in those situations where you know you open the door, you knock the door, and the vendor first thing says, Oh, so what are you going to offer? Right? No, yeah. talk to me about the number. Write this on a I piece of paper. $3 million. I got offered $3 million. I want $3 million or more. Don't, unless it's $3 million or more, don't talk to me. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Yeah. And so someone walking down the street or, you know, someone who was non-serious buyer would have made a ridiculous offer and they are yeah. stuck to it. You know, they are anchored by it. And so that, yes. that bias that is there, you need to take them out of it. And so you can't just say, oh, I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to offer you way less than that. They'd be like, well, Piss off. That's Let's the see. door. Yeah. Go I'll away. I'll set yeah. my dogs on you. Thank you. Let's see. Yeah. That's it. And so you need to understand that it's an education process as much as it for the vendor and the agent even sometimes, right? Yeah, absolutely. One of the key questions I often ask when someone brings up price is how have they come up with that price? Yes. Understanding the 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 reasoning behind that. And often if they're like, well, someone offered that to me and, but it hasn't gone through, <laughs> but that's what they yes. offered me. So I want, I want that. So, so in that situation, Moss, what, what will you do? You've got someone that they've said, I've won $3 million for a property, which, you know, you've done your numbers. It might be 2.5 or whichever. And so I just want three mil, Moss. Yeah. And what do so, you do? So- and so there are two ways. So it has happened to me numerous number of times where people are anchored by a, a number and I become super transparent. I show them my numbers. You know, in one mm. instance, I just showed them my numbers. I said, look, this is what I'm making. And so become part of the deal or these are the four offers that I have against it. Yeah. And so in one instance, you know, I offered them, you know, part of the land. I said, well, you can have a piece of a land together with this money and you yeah. can walk away with this money or you can be part of the profits, you know, of the deal. You can do it this way. And so. I completely took them away from where they were anchored to versus what they had in hand. 
being the expert, when you talk about being the expert, and this is where the transparency is to a certain extent, is that you were able to educate them through the process to go, you know, if it worked, I would, I would offer you, I don't have a problem with doing this, but this is why it doesn't work. But let's try to find different scenarios where we could get a good outcome for you in the meantime. And the fact that you're showing them or you're educating them through the process, I think, again, builds that whole level, another level of trust. Um, yes. And then they see yes. why someone else may have offered some ridiculous price, but their price yeah. was just based on, it was probably maybe even clickbait. Yes. You know, yeah. oh, they might yeah. not even know what their numbers are. And that's yeah. why it didn't get through. Especially in the development deals, when I kick off the conversation, I never disclose myself as a developer. Mm-hmm. I actually wear a buyer's agent hat and I say, look, you know, I'm buying this house for a family, for a friend, for X, for a client. I don't say I'm a developer in the first instance, because as soon as you say the word developer, you know, the light sites come on, you know, the dollar signs come on in their lights, in their eyes, right? And yeah. so you need to ensure that you are managing the verbatim from day dot. Right. And yeah. so it's, it, and it's very, very important. And so a lot of the times what I felt was if you go and wear a developer's hat and you went into the conversation and they quoted you a number, that number is, as you said, based on X, Y, and Z. And so in one instance, the person thought that this was a four unit site. And I said, no, 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 you got this offer, especially in Victoria, well before 2015 or 2016. And so the garden rules were very different. And so you could do four then. You can't do four anymore. This is a two-unit site. And so the numbers have to be shifted. You know, we're talking Mm. about different terms. And so, Mm. again, using that as an education piece, being more transparent and accountable, you know, creates the repo very quickly because they know that you are not there to, in the nicest possible way, fudge them over, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when do you, when is a good time to actually talk Talk money. dollars because we have to. We're going to have yes. to talk about yes. money at some point. Definitely. And so the next key step is understanding the competition. I think a lot of people discount that. Okay. They go in and they assume that, oh, their offer is the best offer or, oh, they have a good relationship with the agent. So understanding the competition, understanding the buyers on the other side is the key. Okay. Like, you know, you'd be asking questions like, you know, how many people are there who is putting in an offer? You know, who are these people? Are they owner occupiers? Are they downsizers? So that you gauge as to how much money would they have? You know, what mm. they, do their budgets look like? And I get these questions asked countless number of times. Oh, why would an agent tell you this? Okay. Yeah. Understand this, that the agent legally cannot disclose you an offer made to the property, but they can disclose everything else. Okay. They can even disclose a range of the offer. And so you have to ask the smartest questions to get that information. For example, mm. you're going in a conversation, you're talking to an agent and you'd be, you will not say, hey, can you tell me an offer? What's the best possible offer? You would say, hey, is the offer between this and this? Is the offer above this? Is the offer below this? How far do I need to go from here to here to make you happy? Okay, so you are changing the frame of the conversations where they have to answer yes and no. They don't have to give you the number. Okay, And so yeah. you're operating in this gray space where the agent feels a lot more comfortable. You're building the repo. It shows that you are keen, okay, and you're mm. leaving the thirst behind. The power of pause is so, so important in negotiation where people don't understand that in some cases, you just have to stop. You just have to close and shut the door just slightly for them to feel thirsty and knock the door and say, hey, by the way, what happened? 
right? Yeah. And so there would be negotiations where I would place in an offer where I know that there would be an offer be above this price, but I'll naturally place in an offer. But on the letter of offer, I'll write that this is not my best offer, okay? Because mm -hmm. I've gauged the interest of the market. I've gauged the interest of the number of buyers. I know that there are people making offers better than me. But the reason I am going below is I want to have the final word and the final say. So I want the agent coming back to me. And it's radio silence from me till they have spoken to everyone else. And then they come back, pick up the phone and say, Moss, by the way, you made an offer. You are in top three. Thank you very much. But we have one offer better than you or two offers better than you. And that's where the conversation changes again. Yeah, yeah. So being able to have a little bit of leeway, it sounds like, you know, like the pause, you talk about the pause, it's more about going, don't go in all guns blazing because then you've got nothing else to give. Yes. <laughs> you still need to be able to hold a few things to you because so, you don't know what, what will come until the very end that you've been able to go, all right, we've made sure all these pieces have moved where they need to sort of move. And that I've given, you know, I've, I've, I've considered all the different scenarios. Um, Definitely. But stepping back as well, stepping back for yourself to not get too emotionally tied up in the whole flurry of, I've got to get it, I've got to get it, I've got to get it, I've got to get it. Yes, yes. And don't show all the cards, right? You don't have to show all the cards, right? It's a typical story of a car salesperson. When you go and purchase a car or a brand new car from a dealership, right? And you go to the dealership and you say to them, hey, I want to buy a car. They'll pitch a car to you. You negotiate the F down for the car. You get the car. And then once you've negotiated the price down, you start talking about car mats and windows tints and all of that. And, you know, you start negotiating that and they'll say, okay, I'll throw in this, but you have to pay for that. And once that's yeah. done, there's another layer, right? You're like, oh, how much fuel would I get? Do I get stamp duty savings? You know, you keep going right till the very end. You don't stop. And so property yeah. is exactly the same thing. You know, you need to have something in your hat so that you can come back and negotiate it down later. And there is, there is a lot of ways that you can use that to come back and renegotiate the price. There are properties where I would offer a slightly higher price, knowing what the next best price is, okay, or gauging from an agent's response perspective as to what the next best price is, going slightly higher than them, making an offer getting a building and pest report or getting more information that I can use, going back to the agent and said, by the way, I'm going to revise my offer and I'm going to revise the offer to the next best offer, which is say $6,000 less than that or $8,000 less than that. And so what they have done now, what you have done is you've done two things, okay? You have given them an offer, which is the next best alternative anyway, okay? So if they let you go, they'll say, oh, we don't want your offer. The next best offer is basically that offer. Yes, they can go back to the old other buyer and tell them that, oh, you know, you know, can you push your price up, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not going to happen because of two reasons. Number one, you've killed their marketing campaign. So you've taken your time to basically kill their marketing campaign completely. Number second thing what you've done is you've forced them to put the property under contract. And so everyone who's looking at that property gets a notification that this property has gone under offer. And naturally, when you go back to the next best person, they don't want seconds. They don't want anyone's seconds. And so you've put this seed in, this, in another buyer's mind, which you're not talking to at all, that there is something wrong with the property. Okay? Yeah. And so you are yeah. playing the complete game. You know, you're not stopping. And so that's one of the best ways to basically come back and negotiate further down. Yeah? 
And yeah, a lot yeah. of people don't think about keeping things in their, you know, back pocket, keeping things in their hat. They show yeah. all the cards up front, you know, trying to create that authentic piece of work. Nothing wrong. Be authentic, but that doesn't mean that you're showing all your cards. Okay, play the game yeah. because everyone yeah. is. And so for you to win it, you have to be in it. And, and this, you know, this has a lot to do with just building that confidence and the mindset around negotiation, right? Because it's not everyone that's going to go through in their first or second deals with this absolute confidence of knowing what buttons to push, what pieces to move around and things like that. So the more and more that you, if, if you feel that you've got that, that, that skill and ability to do that, I think that's, that's fantastic. And you've got the, of course. Uh, yeah, you know. Um, do that. Practice, practice that. It's a skill that is invaluable, whether it's 100%. for property or business, business or car sales, for example, right? Um, yes. I, yes. Admittedly, I'm not so good with the car thing. I can do property stuff, but no cars. I'm going to send along one. I'm going to send you along with one of my mates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, and so but this that's is absolutely the thing. Right. Where if 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 you're not doing this because it is a skill. Negotiation is a skill at the end of the day. And particularly if you're up against real estate agents who are doing these day in and day out, right? These, they train, they get trained for this, right? Their whole, their whole career is based on negotiation. And yes. you've, you've got to be also mindful of your own abilities to be able to go, do I have the, the, the confidence and the experience and the knowledge to be able to go up against a trained professional? in negotiation if you are and you've got the 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 confidence and skill and the knowledge to do that fantastic go for life however if you're not quite to that point as yet i like to say like don't feel that you can't get professionals to help you in this okay then that's what that's what people like professional negotiators uh, are for like buyers agents you know it's it's not a bad thing because you, if until you get to that point, until you've had enough of that practice, you can be on the other side. You know, you might be on the on the on sort of the losing end because you've got someone who is just more skillful in that yes. regard. Yes, and so I think you make a very important point. Well, you do make a very important point. You think about this: a lot of people would buy properties maybe twice, three times, four times a year, okay, or four times in their life, right? And professionals buyers agents or people who do this for a living, they buy hundreds and hundreds of properties every year. And so of course, you know, they are getting better every time. A normal person, even if I look myself in hindsight, you know, going back, looking at my first property, right? You know, one of the biggest mistakes that all the first time investors or first home buyers make is they try lowballing um, offers. They, they lowball the shit out of the office. Okay. And so what you are signaling is you're not a serious buyer. You're lowballing because, you know, you don't have enough budget. You're signaling all the wrong things, okay? Or you are so frustrated that you are signaling or offering a higher price, you know, well before an auction or before an open, you know, house. And what that's doing is that's basically anchoring them to a higher price. And so now you, you're not leaving yourself room to negotiate back from the word that you've put out there. And so it's important to understand that if negotiation is not your thing, and, you know, if you are comfortable in finding the deal, there are people, there are buyers agents out there who would basically, or even us, we, are, we would go out there just negotiating properties for the clients, right? That's all we do, you know, on the whole deal. Of course, you don't have to, you know, use the buyers agents for the whole service. You can potentially, you know, get the negotiation done 
and find the property yourself. If you like, you know, finding the property yourself and you like the adrenaline rush of, you know, going out every Saturday, looking at the properties, et cetera, fine then and hand it over to a person or a negotiator to negotiate the property for you. No shame in that. No harm in that. hundred percent. Absolutely. Because I said it at the end, it's a business. It's a business transaction. You've got to be able to look at it and go, I don't want to have emotions around it. So even, you know, this point around going like in any, any, any profession or anything that you're doing, you're like, how can I engage the right person to, to do it? If I'm going to do your taxes or whichever, you know, are you, are you the best person to do it or do you get an accountant or an accountant to do it? So I said, until you get to that, until you've had enough of that exercising of that skill of negotiation, you know, learn from people or engage someone else to do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's going, how can I be able to get the deal where I need it? Definitely. Where I need it. Definitely. Last comment while we are closing and wrapping this up is more in relation to walking away from the deals, right? And so one of the things which is very, very important as a non-emotional evidence-based investor is to say, nah, stuff it. This is not for me. And so I'm not going to tolerate the nonsense. I'm going to be the wise one here and I'm going to walk away and take the courage of walking away, walking away with your health high up with dignity, right? And so it's important to understanding where, where your walk away point is. You have extended and explored all different avenues and now you feel that you don't have to waste any more time and you just walk away. And that's a very important thing to do in negotiations. I've seen people negotiating development deals over one and a half, two years. I would never do that. It's crazy, right? Like there is no amount of money that you can get for you to negotiate one deal over two years. I'm sure that, you know, if you spend same amount of effort somewhere else, you would be able to find a similar deal, you know, rather than hammering over the same, you know, nail or, 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 you know, Mm. teaching a horse how to dance, right? So, yeah. And and I think it's more so the point, not, not less so around the time and more so around the how much are you doing this whole back and forth, back and forth thing, you know? Yes. And, and deals sometimes yes. can be, be be stretched out for different amounts of reasons because people are getting legal advice, people, family things happen and so on and so forth. So it's more so how much is is that you can pick up that the other side is just not playing ball and they're just not, you know, they're just wanting to screw you over as well. And so, yeah, not by, by not being emotional about it, being really objective in the whole scheme of things and just being able to go, I just look at the numbers, you know, and it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. You just got to be able to say, sorry, we tried our best, um, but I'm just going to move 100%. on to the next. And making that, 100%. That, that decision without thinking that it's going to be hard to find the next one. I think that's the thing that, yes. that, mindset of scarcity going oh my goodness this was the best deal ever and it would have been fantastic i'm so heartbroken that happens often right um because we think we've missed out on that deal and Mm. we suffer from FOMO. Um, it's really important to be able to go i'm okay to step away i'm not emotionally attached to this deal and you know what the next best deal is just around the corner 100 percent. i think this is a perfect anecdote to end the episode thank you cheryl for sharing such amazing insights i think the next question naturally becomes how do you negotiate in auction contracts and how do you go around auctions and so we would have another episode talking all auction strategies and how to play an auction game 
but it was yes. amazing episode thank you very much Cheryl thanks Mars that was that was awesome thanks for sharing and and I'm sure a lot of people would pick stuff out of that 100% and thank you listeners take care keep smiling keep investing this is Adios from Mars this is Mars checking out <laughs>